Good morning, everyone. Uh, what a sweet thing that we get to pray. Let's try again. Um, what, what a sweet thing that we get to pray for uh, missionaries being sent out of our church um, and our youth uh, to St. Louis. And, and now we get to talk about the book of Acts, um, which is what was happening in the first century. So if you would um, turn to Acts chapter 16, and we'll start in verse 1. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remain in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so my name is Victor. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time here, I welcome, uh, welcome to Grace Chapel. Um, this summer, uh, we are going through the book of Acts and the second half of the book of Acts, which highlight Paul's missionary journeys. And in some of your Bibles, the title of this book might actually not just be Acts, it might say the Acts of the Holy Apostles. This title was probably given to this um, collection of writings uh, in, in the first or second century. Um, but in Hellenistic writing, um, this was a popular genre, Acts. It recounts uh, the deeds of a single great individual. So think 
the acts of Alexander the Great, the acts of Taylor Swift. Um, Or it could account uh, the acts of a group of people. But whatever, whoever it was focusing on, it was to present, its purpose was to present a hero and portray them as kind of a divine person or at least a person sent by God. So it would include things like miracles. It would include things and just tales of victory in battle. So the acts of the holy apostles. Is is the purpose of this book um, to highlight the apostles and all that they did uh, in the first century after Jesus ascended into, into heaven? Is that its purpose? Well, I would say yes and no. How's that for a non-answer for you? Because as our text today will clearly show, and I would argue just the whole book of Acts itself, the key character, the main character of this book is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working through his apostles, moving and working in and through his church so that it expands from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Rome. So Acts puts on display this, this dance between the Spirit of God and his church, human and divine action in the work of Christian ministry. And it shows very clearly that human initiative is really important, but that it's insufficient. And I think that throughout the history, the church itself has, has fallen to either side, whether it emphasizes um, just the, the responsibility of the human person, or it, or it, it, it um, relegates itself to um, just the sovereignty of God. God will take care of it. Let's let him do his thing. I think um, that, that human initiative is important, but it's insufficient. And so the, the book of Acts, it, it trains us, it shapes us in showing us that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, partners with us in ministry. And that the spreading of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven is a mission that we enter into with God's spirit. And we see this dance of ministry in three different ways in our text today. So first, Jesus grows his church when we seek peace. Second, Jesus guides us when we ponder his ways. And third, Jesus opens hearts when we speak about him. Let me pray. Father, um, Son, and Holy Spirit, if I, I'm just keenly aware that if I'm up here and just trying to do this thing in my own strength and my own skill, and um, if I'm trying uh, to, to woo and captivate these friends um, and make them fall in love with you more, Uh, that they should have just stayed home and listened to their favorite podcast. Because I can't do that. And uh, I'm not supposed to do that. That's not my responsibility. Um, And so I just trust that you use human, uh, ordinary, and weak um, initiative to, to grow your church. And that your spirit is powerful and at work. And so, Lord, would you make hearts uh, come alive and come open uh, to, to who you are and your love for them this morning. 
Would you refresh us? For those who are here, who've stumbled in here somehow and who don't know you, um, would you show them your face and your love for them so that they come alive and are uh, new creations in you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, uh, Jesus grows his church when we seek peace. So look at verses one through three. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So if we had gone through Acts chapter 15 together, um, this decision by Paul, it might have made some of your heads turn. Because right before this, the church in Jerusalem had come to the, the conclusion that God was redeeming not just Jewish people, but Gentiles, non-Jews. He was redeeming those people and that the, the church in Jerusalem decided that we shouldn't put anything in the way of these Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. This meant that the Gentiles, they weren't expected to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. So then the question comes up, why in the world is Paul circumcising Timothy? Because circumcision was a sign um, of the Jewish people. Like, it was their thing. So why is Timothy being circumcised? Well, Timothy isn't being circumcised so that he is saved by Jesus. Also, if you're new here and, you know, we're just talking about circumcision, welcome. Um, This is not so that, that Timothy would be saved by Jesus. Rather, he's circumcised so that others might come to faith. In Jesus, so that the Jews specifically would come to faith in Jesus. Because Paul knew that if Timothy was going to join him on his missionary journeys, that they would inevitably encounter Jewish people. Because that was Paul's MO. Every single city that, that he went into, the first thing that he would do is go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews from their own scriptures about the risen Christ. So the issue is that Timothy's not being circumcised, it would serve as a barrier or a distraction to Paul's message about Jesus. As an uncircumcised son of a mixed marriage, so remember that his dad was Greek, his mom was Jewish, Timothy would have been regarded by the Jews as essentially an apostate Jew, which would have deterred them from listening to Paul. So Timothy experiences real physical harm to himself for the sake of others knowing Jesus. He removes all barriers between himself and others so that this message about Jesus might be welcomed and considered without distraction. In verses 4 and 5, Paul and Timothy deliver the decisions regarding the Gentiles coming to faith to the churches of Paul's first mission. So if you didn't catch it, we're back in Lystra, which is where we were last week in Acts chapter 14. Paul's returned. This is his second missionary journey. He's going back to these previously established churches, giving them the news that the, the church in Jerusalem had come to about the Gentiles. The news that, that because of Christ, there is peace, not only between God and the Gentiles, but also between Gentile and Jews. 
because God doesn't make any distinctions because all are saved by grace through faith in his son. So as a result, in verse 5, look there with me, we read that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So when we seek peace, Jesus grows his church. When we seek peace, Jesus grows his church. So just a question for you and us as a community. Are there things in your personal life or our life as a church that might distract or deter someone from believing in Jesus? And this could be cultural realities that are, are good. I'm not even talking about bad things, but, but things that we've so wedded to our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, that it creates this wall between us and them. Consider those things. This could be how we spend our money, how we talk about particular issues, how we use the power that we possess, even what we do for fun, how we dress, uh, how we vote. Things that can be good, but things that we have, we have said, this is what it means to be a Christian. And the goal here isn't to crush diversity, it's not to become identical to one another. No, Jesus loves diversity. Uh, Dave even prayed, at the end of all things, there's going to be people from every tribe and nation and language and people group worshiping him. Jesus loves diversity, but our obligation is to seek peace by keeping the main thing the main thing. And disconnecting those secondary things from what it means to follow Jesus so that nothing comes between Jesus and from people meeting him. So Christian mission, ministry, is a dance, this interplay of human and divine action. And we see first that when we seek peace, Jesus will grow his church. So how else do we see this dance of ministry here? I think that secondly, we see that Jesus guides us when we ponder his ways. So after Paul and Timothy, they've gone through all these cities that they previously established uh, churches in, they relay this message from the church in Jerusalem, in Lystra and Derbe. They then set their gaze westward towards Asia. I wish I could throw a map up here, um, just so you could see just the miles that they traversed, um, the places that they wanted, wanted to go. And we don't know the particular details, but this um, missionary team, they seem to be prevented or unable to speak about Jesus in that region. And what's interesting is they attribute it to the Holy Spirit, to closed door number one. So, uh, having been prevented from speaking um, in Asia, they make their way through Asia Minor, and they, as they come to the northern border, they're about to cross over into a different region called Bithynia, but again, the spirit of Jesus prevents them from doing so. Closed door number two. So instead of going north, they head west. They head west through uh, an area called Mycenae, and they come to, to the western coast of what today is modern Turkey, to a city called Troas. And you just have to imagine, just put yourself in Paul's shoes, that they, they were either confused 
or extremely discouraged at this point because, you know, it's just a couple of sentences here that we read about their journey. But from Antioch in Syria, Paul's sending church, they've traveled about 600 miles through harsh and unfamiliar terrain. And their very good and very noble plans have been frustrated time and time again. So they have to be thinking, like, how will these people, like, think about it, 600 miles, how will these people hear about Jesus if we can't talk about him? How will they hear about him? The thing is, is that Paul eventually, and we'll, we'll talk about this later this summer, he eventually does establish churches in Asia. And we also read Peter's first letter, which is addressed to churches here in Asia. So for now, God's priority, at least at this point, is for Paul to go elsewhere. They don't understand it yet, but that's his priority for, for them to go elsewhere, and they're obedient to that call. So finally, Luke, um, he writes that Paul receives a vision in the night. Uh, this is interesting. And it's a man of Macedonia, which is um, the modern-day continent of Europe, Europe. And he's standing there urging him, saying, come over, come over to Macedonia and help us. So after two closed doors and frustrated plans, the Spirit miraculously uses a vision to direct and guide the disciples. And even in the New Testament, I want you to know this is not part and parcel to what the Christian life is. Like visions are um, peculiar things that that God miraculously uses to guide his people, which is why in verse 10, Luke writes that after Paul's vision, the disciples conclude that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So this word for conclude in verse 10, it carries this idea that the disciples looked at all of the evidence, all of the evidence from the the two closed doors and the vision that Paul had received and concluded together, corporately, that God was calling them to go on to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So John Stott, uh, a commentator on this book, he speaks of the elements that often characterize um, God's divine guidance. He says, God's use of a period of time, the circumstances of opened and closed doors, pondering what was taking place, and seeking response and input from others in pursuit of a kind of corporate wisdom. That's all that is going on here in this scene. And it reminds me um, about a friend of mine who, um, he's a fellow seminarian. He just graduated uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, But we went to seminary together. And he went there because he felt this inward and outward call to preach the gospel, and specifically in the Pacific Northwest, where he's from. And so he does what every good seminarian in his or her last year should do. He networks and networks. He sends emails and makes phone calls and talks to pastors um, around the United States. He's keeping things open. He's not adamant about returning to the Pacific Northwest, but he is trying to make connections. He's applying to a bunch of churches. He's praying um, like crazy, asking other people to pray for him. 
But after six months of doing so, he just can't seem to even get a second interview. And he doesn't understand why. His plans have been frustrated, like Paul's, again and again and again. And just like Paul, he doesn't get to do what he feels called to do, which is preach and tell people about Jesus to people who don't know him. And it's just been interesting being Heath's, his, his name's Heath, by the way. He's okay with me telling you his name. But just being his friend and walking him, seeing him walk through this season of disappointment after disappointment, um, seeing him look at the evidence, considering what's going on, the closed doors, the open doors. He sought counsel from, from me, from people who know him well, and concluded, though it doesn't make sense, that God is wanting to keep him in St. Louis for a time. So have you uh, gone through something similar like this, just where you perceived this, this very God-given desire, something that he has put inside of you to do? He has made you this way. He's made you to do this thing on earth, to bring God's kingdom to this place. But um, you've experienced what feels like closed doors. How do you make sense of those experiences? Uh, some of us are skeptical, skeptical about a God who, um, who guides us but might frustrate our plans. Uh, we think that we should just get whatever we want. Some of us are skeptical about if there's a God at all who would guide us, right? Some of us need to slow down and actually ponder the circumstances of our lives rather than letting our frustration drive us into overworking like a good old Western American or um, numbing out so that we don't have to deal with disappointment. Some of us need to seek the counsel of trusted friends who know us, who know what we're going through because we're so used to making decisions on our own. But we need people. So in the dance of ministry, Jesus guides us when we ponder his ways, when we gather the evidence from all that he's doing or allowing in our lives, and when we seek the counsel of others. And uh, you know this, but his guidance is, is seldom crystal clear, seldomly is it black and white, it often isn't what we expect, but I think we can trust him, he knows what he's doing. And though God frustrates Paul's plans, he then turns him westward beyond the boundaries of where the gospel has gone before. And it's here in Acts chapter 16 where the gospel jumps from one continent to another, where it goes from Asia into the continent of what is now Europe. So this dance of ministry, how do we, um, how do we partner with the Spirit? Well, first... When we seek peace, Jesus grows his church. Secondly, when we ponder his ways, Jesus guides us. And thirdly, Jesus opens hearts when we speak about him. So look at verses uh, 13 and 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. 
So in Acts chapter 16, from verse 11 to the end of this chapter, Luke writes about Paul's ministry in the city of Philippi. And we're given kind of three case studies of very different people's lives being changed by Jesus. This morning, we're just going to hear about one of them, and it's Lydia, who we just read about. And then next week, you'll hear about the other two. But we see here why the Spirit has frustrated Paul's plans, and it's to bring them to Macedonia, where Paul's ministry in this city is extremely fruitful. So what do we know about this city? Well, Philippi, one, it was a wealthy Roman colony because of its access to natural resources, just where it was geographically, and it was, it was home to the worship of a bunch of gods. And um, we're told that Lydia, uh, the woman that we meet by the riverside here in Philippi, is a pious woman. Um, Luke describes her as a worshiper of God. And this phrase, it often describes a former Gentile polytheist who has become a worshiper of the God of Israel, who's adopted monotheism, so this belief that there's one true God, and who attends the synagogue but doesn't keep the entire law. So Lydia is a pious woman. What else do we learn about her? We, we learn that she is a seller in purple goods. Um, so she was probably wealthy. She spent her, her life making people look beautiful with her business. And her heart was attuned to beautiful things. So that when she hears Paul's words about Jesus during their prayer gathering, their little Bible study by the riverside, the spirit opens up her heart to pay attention to or to to respond eagerly to Paul's message. And this word here for pay attention is prosecco. It, It can also stand for things like occupying yourself with, devoting or applying oneself to this thing, attaching oneself to it, clinging oneself to it. So Lydia is able to hear Paul's words about Jesus and suddenly sees him as beautiful. Uh, Sees him as beautiful, something that she wants to give her life to, something she wants to cling to, devote her, her worship and her love too. Um, and it's not because Paul's words are beautiful or eloquent. I mean, we hear elsewhere in the, in the New Testament that Paul didn't think much of his ability to speak. The power is not in his words. It's because of the work of the Spirit in opening up her heart. Um, this word open here... Um, It can be used to describe many things. God opening up um, a woman's womb so that she can carry, so she can be with child. It can mean opening up someone's ears so when Jesus would heal a deaf person, um, it's used there so that they can literally hear. Um, Opening up someone's heart or mind in order to perceive something correctly, but opening in a sense that, that something can come in and find a place there so that they change in a significant way. So because of this interplay between Paul's words and the Spirit's action, Lydia goes from life to death. Her heart is changed by this beautiful Jesus, and we immediately see the effects of it. So look with me at verse 15. 
And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she's baptized, right? And, and baptism this is this sacrament that signifies her being raised from death to life in Christ as a new creation filled with his spirit. And she immediately and adamantly offers hospitality. Come to my home. I want to feed you. I want to take you in. I want to be generous to you. And so she sees Jesus as beautiful. And it changes her heart. So that she now uses her her resources, and remember, she has a lot of resources, to then turn and be and serve as a blessing to others. And her home, actually, we read later in this chapter, her home becomes the center of this new faith in Philippi. And, And it's interesting because this is what the Philippian church becomes known for. Um, It's their hospitality, it's their generosity that imitates the humility of Christ. So remember this famous hymn in Philippians chapter 2. So Paul writes the letter to this church 15 years later after his encounter with Lydia. And he writes about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So how does this kind of self-emptying transformation come about in Lydia's life? She sees Jesus as beautiful because Paul was faithful to speak about her and the Spirit used his words to open her heart and bring her from life to death. Paul's words alone would not have sufficed. It wouldn't be, they wouldn't have been strong enough to change her. And that's the case that Paul's words alone, they can't, they're not strong enough to change a person. And the partnership between the Spirit and God's people is necessary. And um, this, so I got this illustration just last night, as I, and y'all, y'all are going to think that I'm some sort of DIYer because now all my sermon illustrations are about tools or woodworking. But I was, um, I was mounting our TV into a concrete block, and I was using what's called a hammer drill. <laughs> and um, the thing about a hammer drill, I mean, it's kind of in the name. It is two things in one. It is both a drill and a hammer. So it it does those two things and, and you need it to drill into hard things like concrete and brick. So it, it spins this little spiral bit into it, but at the same time, there's this mechanism that's like hitting and hammering this drill into the wall. So it's like a drill and a chisel in one. And if I was to take this, like just a normal drill and try to, to, to drill this hole into the concrete, it just wouldn't have worked. It would have taken me, taken me hours to do it. But because I used a hammer drill, I'm just like, I'm plowing through concrete like it's butter. <laughs> and Mallory like hears me from upstairs and like, what are you doing down there? It sounds like you're taking down a wall. But anyways, like it's the same thing. 
here in this chapter. The same goes for Paul's preaching of the gospel. Because we know just in the, in the account of scripture that the human heart is hard. It is hard. You can't get through it. Like cute or eloquent words can't change a human heart. Paul needs the powerful working of God's spirit to change Lydia's life. So y'all, why is it important for us to read the book of Acts? Um, I think one reason is because many of us have been raised and shaped by good old Midwestern American ideals that believe if you just put enough blood and sweat and tears and elbow grease into it, that it's going to happen. That you can become whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And I think that we can bring those very naive, very idealistic expectations into the church, into what it means to follow Jesus, so that um, the Holy Spirit just becomes this nice, like, backup plan that we can go to him whenever we need him. And I'm guilty of that, too. Relegating him to the background so that that we only bring him out when it gets, like, messy. But just like we saw, this, this isn't the, the, it's not the story of reality that the Bible portrays. It just isn't. Because the Spirit is the main character in this book. And in our lives, He's this living, moving, active, powerful, unstoppable God. This person who pursues a person across continents, across centuries, a person like Lydia, a, a people like the pagans in Lystra, people like the violent man, Saul of Tarsus, people like you. People like you. He's the only person who can lift this veil of shame from a conscience that's riddled with guilt. He's the only person that can ultimately lighten the heart of your friend who just feels the overwhelming, unbearable weight of depression. He's the only person who can rescue a failing marriage. The only person who can spark a feisty hope in the heart of a person who's in the valley of the shadow of death. He's the only person who can fix a divided country. He's the only person who can fix a divided church, y'all. We need him. And can you believe it? He wants us. He wants to partner with us. If you believed in Jesus, the spirit of him who rose Jesus from the dead, he dwells in you. Did you know that? He dwells in you. And guess what? He gladly partners with you. He gladly partners with his church to bring about his kingdom here on this earth. I mean, talk about a renewed purpose. What kind of God is this? Who not only rescues us, whose love, his glad-hearted love not only chases after you and rescues you, but then he rescues you to this renewed purpose where you're, you're brought into this story and given this dignity and this job to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. Man, he transforms our meager efforts so that hearts are opened and lives are changed. This is the kind of God that we serve. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, some of us are surprised um, as we hear about uh, your involvement in our lives. And some of us um, just needed to hear that. 
I pray that you would show your face to them, uh, that as they take just these, the evidence of circumstances throughout their life, that they would see you very clearly leading them, guiding them, loving them. For people who are on our hearts, whether it's us or a friend, who just seem like, man, change will never come. We feel powerless in our own strength to to bring about change or good or truth or beauty in this world. I pray that your spirit would so just just enliven and strengthen uh, a weak faith. And that you would change us and change our friends that we deeply love, who need you. God, make us a church that continues to lean into you, to to acknowledge our weakness without you. Make us a place of prayer, um, a place that sees uh, you as beautiful, uh, a place that that offers hospitality and generosity uh, like Lydia and her faithfulness to you. Uh, We need you to do all of that. We can't Um, in our own strength. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.